I'd like to welcome you all again. Um, and as we would continue in the book of Revelation, uh, let's turn to chapter 20. Chapter 20, we're going to read the last five verses of that chapter. Uh, and although perhaps you may not be as familiar with the exact wording of the text, I am certain that every one of us, if not, or perhaps every one of us, has thought about this subject. <clears throat> One of the things that I've come across, uh, especially as I was, um, you know, trying to digest this and, and was studying, is, is that the book of Revelation is, it, that re- word revelation is actually uh, another way of saying the great unveiling, the unveiling of Jesus Christ. And it's such a beautiful uh, um, way of putting it because as we will go through, especially today, but all of the book of Revelation, we see that it is not a standalone book that is independent, and that was just something that John was inspired to write, but it was something that from almost the very, very beginning, in fact, it was from the very beginning, the opening chapters, we see already the things that John is talking about. We see them, although sometimes veiled. Sometimes we couldn't understand the context, or or perhaps how is that going to look? And And the book of Revelation is just that, a book of unveiling, the unveiling of Jesus Christ. So let's turn to uh, Revelation 20, and we'll start at verse 11. And the word reads, And I saw a great white throne, and him that sat on it, from whose face the earth and the heaven fled away, and there was found no place for them. And I saw the dead, small and great, stand before God, and the books were opened, and another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged out of those things which were written in the books, according to their works. And the sea gave up the dead which were in it, and death and hell delivered up the dead which were in them, and they were judged every man according to their works. And death and hell were cast into the lake of fire. This is the second death. And whosoever was not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire." A pretty uh, grim uh, collection of verses, and and yet something that we need to uh, be very familiar with, and, and to be very uh, to let our hearts settle in, and to f- draw great encouragement from. So, just to put this in the context of where we are in the narrative that John is giving us, uh, beginning of the chapter, we see that Satan has been um, he's been bound. And then there comes the time of, of the uh, great peace and, uh, when Christ is reigning and, uh, what we would all call the millennium. And after this thousand years or this time of the millennium of, of Christ reigning and Satan being bound, Satan is released. But then very, very quickly, uh, we see that he is, uh, cast himself into the lake of fire. And it says in verse 10, And the devil that deceived them was cast into the lake of fire and brimstone, lake fire and sulfur, where the beast and the false prophet are, and shall be tormented day and night forever and ever. So where we come in now in verse 11, all of the opposition is finished. The false prophet, the beast, um, the Antichrist, all of these um, figures that had been uh, spoken of in the earlier chapters and all throughout Scripture, uh, that time is done. And this is a very, very uh, interesting time in history because there is no longer a time of deception. There's no longer an opposition. This is um, now the time when everything is coming to its final conclusion. 
And, and this is the last, um, the, the last step, in a sense, before eternity starts in earnest. Before we see the redeemed who receive their reward and are now finally in this place of eternity. This is called the, the judgment before the great white throne. So let's go through the text, and we're going to see what does this tell us? What can we draw from this? What is uh, being communicated here? The, the, what is the message that has been preached all through the history uh, of the children of Israel, all through the New Testament, all through the Word? What has been spoken of? What are we seeing here uh, about the character of Jesus, the character of God? So if we start in the first verse, it says, And I saw a great white throne. Uh, again, we've seen oftentimes the throne in heaven uh, here in the book of Revelation. And we saw it, we were first introduced to that in uh, verse uh, chapter 4, where we see God on the throne. And it, although John doesn't name him as such, but he, he points to the one who sits on the throne and it speaks of his majesty and his glory and his power, his might. Um, and then again, we see some other visions of the throne room of heaven. So here we see a great white throne. And him that sat on it. Again, John doesn't identify the him, who it is. But all through script, all through the book of Revelation, we see so far that this person that he is putting on the throne is God himself. He identifies him as God. And um, in Revelation, it's always God who sits on the throne. Interestingly enough, in the New Testament, uh, most references to the throne and to judgment are of Jesus on the throne. And there's no disparity here, though, because God and God the Father and God the Son are so uh, one in their nature that they are interchangeable. We know that Jesus has been given the authority to judge. And that's all through the scriptures. We can see that. And here we see that John flips back and forth almost between them. In fact, if you look at the, the Gospel of Matthew in chapter 25, where it talks about this, this time of judgment, um, he identifies, When the Son of Man shall come in his glory, and all the holy angels with him, then shall he, the Son of Man, sit upon the throne of his glory. And it, it uses the same language for the Son as it does for the Father. So this is uh, interesting in that we cannot separate the two and say the two are not one. We cannot say that uh, God the Father and God the Son are not one because they are one. And here we see John and the, the New Testament writers uh, interchanging uh, God and the, the God the Father and God the Son in this role. It says here, so in him that sat on it, from whose face the earth and the heaven fled away, and there was found no place for them. Interesting. So here John sees this, this image, this vision of the throne, this great white throne, and uh, the, uh, the one who sits on the throne, and the very earth and heaven flee before it. They, they, it flees from him. And we're going to talk about this a little bit more in the next chapter when the new heaven and the new earth come in. But here we can see that, and this uh, is echoing what uh, Peter writes in, in the third chapter, but the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night, in the which the heavens shall pass away with a great noise, and the elements shall melt with fervent heat, the earth also, and the works that are therein shall be burned up. So as the, the throne room appears, and this great white throne, and him who sits on the throne, we see then that even the very earth, the very universe, and, and when we read this heaven, this is uh, oftentimes translated two ways. It can be the, the place where God resides, or it can be the, um, the universe, the, the firmaments above. 
And, and I think the, the best reading is that this, when it speaks of earth and the heaven, this is the earth and all of the, the universe around us. It all is put away. It's all destroyed. It all gets burned up. It perishes. And it's interesting. That which was corrupted by the fall, everything that has been corrupted, everything that has been touched by evil is coming to an end. And isn't it interesting now, though, how we see in, in the time that we live in, see, all through the book of Revelation, the earth has taken a beating. And we can see already how that's coming to be, where, where the, the earth is being decimated by natural disasters and even the influence of humanity, the pollution and so on that we see all about us. And, and that's a very hot topic nowadays is this climate change and all this sort of thing. But, you know, isn't it interesting how much we pour into the earth, even the New Age cults and so on, how much they want to preserve and to worship Mother Earth, and it all passes away. Everything that has ever become an obstacle to God's worship, to putting God rightly in sovereign place in our hearts, is now being taken away. Satan, the Antichrist, the false prophet, the beast, and even the earth itself. Everything that has ever stood in the way, everything that has ever been tainted and corrupted by evil is being put away. But like I said, we're going to look at the new heaven and the new earth in in Revelation 21. So the next verse says, And I saw the dead, small and great, stand before God. And the books were opened. And another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged out of those things which were written in the books according to their works. So what John is seeing here is almost word for word or, or very, very close to what Daniel saw um, in the the, um, the vision that while he was in Babylon. If you look at uh, the book of Daniel, chapter 7, two verses, 9 and 10. So Daniel, chapter 7, verses 9 and 10, they say this, I beheld till the thrones were cast down, and the ancients of days did sit whose garment was white as snow, and the hair of his head like the pure wool. His throne was like the fiery flame, and his wheels as burning fire. And a a fiery stream issued and came forth from before him. Thousands, thousand thousands ministered unto him, and ten thousand times ten thousand stood before him. The judgment was set, and the books were opened, it says. Again, in in a few chapters later, again in a vision, uh, Daniel records this in chapter 12, verses 1 uh, and verse 2. And at that time shall Michael stand up, the great prince, which standeth for the children of thy people. And there shall be a time of trouble, such as never was since there was a nation, even to that same time. And at that time thy people shall be delivered, every one that shall be found written in the book. And many of them that sleep in the dust of the earth shall awake, some to everlasting life, and some to shame and everlasting contempt. So here we see that Daniel saw this vision. And as I said, this was something that was veiled to him. Because if you read the rest of those chapters, or the verses afterwards, we see Daniel really didn't understand. And it bothered him, and he asked for an interpretation of these things. 
So something that was uh, veiled to Daniel as he saw it is opened now to us. It's unveiled to us. So here we talk about this, this great host of people. And I saw the dead, small and great, stand before God. So now picture this. Picture as Daniel uh, also said this. 10,000 times 10,000. It's almost an innumerable host of people. The dead have been called up out of the earth. And we'll see this also in verse 13. Very similar language. Not just the earth and the, and the, the grave or um, hadas, but also from the sea. So from all places where the dead have been temporarily waiting for they've been, for a time they've been, um, uh, silent and asleep in a sense. They have been all called forward and now the time has come. And this is the, the, the thing that so often, uh, is, is, I've thought about, I don't want to presume that you have, although I'm sure you have, that we've thought about the time of judgment and what it would be like to be there in front of God, to be there and, and to see those books being opened. I'll tell you, though, that uh, I thank, thank the Lord that those who are his children, those whose names are written in the book, will not come to see that day. Because we have seen a different day. We have seen the first resurrection. And if you look in uh, the verses prior to this, it says in verse 4 of chapter 20, this same chapter, And I saw thrones, and they sat upon them, and judgment was given unto them, or given for them. And I saw the souls of them that were beheaded for the witness of Jesus and for the word of God, and which had not worshipped the beast, neither his image, neither had received his mark upon their foreheads or in their hands. And they lived and reigned with Christ a thousand years. But the rest of the dead lived not again until a thousand years were finished. So the rest of the dead, this is who we're talking about now. This innumerable host called forth from the earth, from Hadas, from the water. These are the ones who now stand before God. They were not part of the first resurrection. That was for the saved of God. That was for the martyrs. That was for the Old Testament saints. This is for now those who were not part of the first resurrection. It says they are part of the second death, in fact. It says in verse 6, Blessed and holy is he that hath part in the first resurrection. On such the second death hath no power. But they shall be priests of God and of Christ and shall reign with him a thousand years. So this is those who have been saved. Brothers and sisters, this is you. You have been reigning with Christ for a thousand years. You were part of that first resurrection. And oh, only those who have continuously rejected Christ, who have continuously said, I'd rather worship the beast. I'd rather worship myself. I'd rather worship anything else but God. Those are the ones who we're talking about now. These are the ones who stand before the throne of God and see those books be opened. See, this is not a trial. Sometimes uh, we may think of this in the, the terms, and, and I used to, for analogy's sake, look at this as almost a, a trial, a courtroom trial, and, and, and the, the prosecutor or the judge calls forward the defense and says, now answer for yourself. See, that's, we're not talking about that, though. This is not a trial. There's no defense given at this point. There's no time of of uh, trying to uh, argue one way or the other, counter-argument. This is, I rest my case. This is done now. There is no longer talking. This is a reading of the judgment. This is a reading or a rendering of the verdict. So the books, what are we, what can we make of these books? And we'll talk more as the, of the judgment, but for now, what about these books that are going to be opened up? How do we understand these books? Well, it says that the people were judged out of these things, were 
that were written in the books according to their works. Now, there are some scriptures that speak of these books. And I don't have them recorded here, but um, there's this is not something that uh, is new to the believers of this time that would have been reading this letter. Uh, this is something actually that would have been practiced in ancient uh, times where there would be uh, books that were kept about the genealogies. In fact, some of us, and I, I know there's been a bit of a resurgence in trying to figure out our uh, lineage and uh, our ancestry and so on, and, and you know, we give DNA samples and they try to figure out where we came from and so on and so forth. So it's within us to know. It's within us in a sense to, to belong somewhere. Where do I stand in all of this? Where do I fit into all of this? And so in ancient times, they would have had these registers, these genealogies that would have listed what family you came from. And then, uh, you know, perhaps other pertinent information about who you were and your standing in the community, perhaps, or and so on. Well, God also had a book. He also had a book, and, and within it was written those who were his, those who were righteous. And um, I wish I would have written it down because it, it speaks... It's, well, here, I'll, I'll read something here out of Exodus 32. Um, and it says here, And Moses, speaking with the Lord after he's confronted the, uh, you know, the people have sinned, and, and the Lord said unto Moses, Exodus 32, verse 33, Whosoever hath sinned against me, him will I blot out of my book. He has kept a record. It is important, um, and we read of this, that their names were written in heaven. And, and uh, uh, rejoice, not that you have victory over the, the demons, and so, but rather rejoice that your names are written in the book of life, it says. But there's also this other book, these other books, and these are the ones that need to worry us. These are the books that record everything that we've done, the righteous things and the, the wicked things that we've done. And these are the books that now stand before us. We've come to this place. And, and you see, this is what so, so terrifies me. The time for decision is over. The time for defense is over. Now the books are there. And everything that you have done, every thought that you have had, every, every wickedness that has entered into your heart and that you've uh, entertained in your mind, it is written in that book. And that's such a scary thing. Because you have no alternatives now. There's nothing you can say. You are silent. You cannot make a defense anymore. The case has been closed. And now it's just simply the rendering. What have you done? How do you plead? And there's only one plead. And that is guilty. Because everything in there, you, you, you'll hear it. You'll hear about the lust in your life. And, and the wickedness. The, the deception. And, and the profanity. And every evil thing that has ever come into your mind. Or that has left your heart. And has become a part of your action. Will be right there. And you have no defense. Because you know that it's true. And oh what a terrible day that will be for you. When you stand there and your whole life is. And, and you know here's the, the problem. Because the deceiver has gone now. He no longer can interpret things for you. You know he can't uh, try to assuage your guilt and say it's not a baby. It's just a blob of flesh. It's a fetus. It doesn't matter if you kill it. It doesn't matter if uh, you know that you stole that because they don't need it anymore and they maybe got it from ill gain anyways. So all of these things that we try to tell ourselves are justifications for sin. It's all going to be gone. There's no more justifying. And only the law of God will be the thing that uh, determines guilt or not. It's his standard anymore. That's it. 
And the deceiver is done. And all of the lies and all of the deception is put away. He's in the lake of fire. And what will you do then? We will claim hope for mercy, right? Psalm 62, verse 12. Also unto thee, O Lord, belongeth mercy. God is merciful. For thou renderest to every man according to his works. God is merciful, but he will render to you according to your works. And so, that will be terrifying. Because you know that according to your works, you deserve death. He is merciful, and he is merciful all through time. And he has shown us great mercy, but he will render according to your works. Jeremiah 17.10 I, the Lord, search the heart. I try the reins, even to give every man according to his, his ways and according to the fruit of his doing. God is not at this time assigning you to condemnation, but he is trying the reins. He is searching. He's trying to be merciful to you. He's calling this day, today, while you hear my voice, harden not your heart. He's reaching out to you so that your works will not be the only thing that he looks at. Romans 2, verse 6, who will, speaking of God, who will render it to every man according to his deeds. 1 Peter 1, verse 17, and if he called on the Father with, who with respect of persons, without respect of persons judges according to every man's work, past the time of your sojourning in fear. Peter's saying, you need to uh, recognize God will not pull his punches in a sense. God will not wink his eye and say, okay, we're just going to let go of that one, go. According to our works. And here's the terrible thing. You know, in a culture that so desperately wants to blame everybody else for our problems. Or in a culture that wants to say, it's not me. Look at me. I'm a victim. I'm a victim of whatever it is. Maybe, you know, bad parenting or, or bad circumstances. Uh, you know, maybe I have a disability or maybe, uh, whatever. I don't know. The devil made me do it. And, It doesn't jive anymore. God says, according to what you have done, nobody else, your parents, if they screwed you up, they're going to be held responsible. But you are responsible for what you have done. If, if you, if you were put into a situation where you felt like you couldn't do anything else, that's still you that has to, uh, to face up to that. Nobody else. And, And this is going to be a really hard place for a lot of us because a lot of us love victimhood. And this culture that we are in, so often I, I hear these stories and, and it's just from one tragedy to the next and it's never their fault. Is it never your fault? Are you one of these people who wants to blame everybody else for the wrong that you have done? I couldn't do anything else. What else was I supposed to do? None of that will hold water. None of that will be even considered. Remember, you stand before God and you cannot say a thing. This is just a rendering of judgment. So when the books are open, the books that accurately, very accurately display what we have done, 
What will they say about us? What hope will you have? You will have no hope. Because the righteousness of God, the standard that God has put to man, the, this, the call to holiness that he has put out to each of us is of such a high degree that it is unachievable. And no matter, if you, you can go through that book, let's say, and, and that book maybe says, you know, I saved all these people and I gave everything to the poor and, and you know, I, I did all of the law perfectly. You know what? It's still not enough. You know, I, I, we're, we're thinking of it in terms of, you know, the ugliness of our sin being brought forward and, and you know, being judged by that. And, and, and I, we think to ourselves like, oh, yeah, I did that. You know, that was really bad. And I don't want people to know that. But what about those things that we, we offer to God and say, God, look at what I've done for you. Did we not cast out demons in your name and prophesy, right? We know that scripture. And what's Jesus say to them? Depart from me, you workers of iniquity, for I never knew you. Oh, it's true. You did wonderful things. It's true. You're, you're a saint by the most uh, estimations. But when the books are open and when the standard of God, the law of God, the righteousness of God is used to interpret and, and to measure the works that we have done, absolute and complete total failure. So if you for a moment think that what you've done is not too bad or what you have done is really, really good, You are deceiving yourself, and you better repent. You better think differently. Verse 12 and 13 speak of this this judgment that's coming when the books are opened, when those who are not written in the book of life, and there is the key, those who are not written in the book of life, when they stand before God and the judgment is rendered, and death and hell were cast into the lake of fire. Verse 14 This is the second death. And whosoever was not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. Jesus said in Revelation chapter 1, right at the very beginning, verse 18, I am he that liveth and was dead, and behold, I am alive forevermore, amen, and have the keys of hell and death. Death has been defeated. We see here that death, the very holding place in a sense, the very thing that um, was that sign of the dominance of sin in our lives, that death that came from the sin in our lives, even that itself, that great corrupter, is thrown into the lake of fire. It's personified in a way, and it and Hades, or Hadas, actually another way of saying that would be death and the grave, are cast into the lake of fire and sulfur. And so whoever was not found in the book of life. So just thinking though, Revelations 14, we already saw this a little bit, uh, and it says, And the third angel um, followed them, saying with a loud voice, If any man worships the beast and his image and received his mark on their forehead or in his hand, the same shall drink of the wine of the wrath of God, which is poured out without mixture into the cup of his indignation. And he shall be tormented with fire and brimstone in the presence of the holy angels and in the presence of the Lamb. And the smoke of their torment ascendeth up forever and ever. And they rest not night, day or night, who worship the beast in his image, and whosoever receiveth the mark of his name. That is not pleasant. That is not a goal. And so I, I, I beg of you, I beg of you who have 
still rejected God, who still, in a sense, are identifying with the, the beast, with all that is anti-God. And, and you may say, no, no, I don't do that. I don't do that. Okay, I'm a good boy. You know, just I got my faults and so on. No. Either you are a follower of God or you are a follower of Satan. Either you bear the marks of, of the, the death of Christ in your life or else you bear the mark of the beast. And there's no, there's no in-between. There's no place, there's no, none of this purgatory thing where, you know, I'm going to go here for a little while and I'm going to make up for it, kind of work off my debt. No, that debt is so completely not workable. You are one or the other. You are either part of the first resurrection or you are part of the second death. This is the second death. It's not the second resurrection. It's the second death. Now, I want to talk to you about the book of life. I've been particularly not speaking about the book of life because I want, to, I want to spend a little bit of time in the book of life. Because the only hope, and now imagine this, imagine this, okay, for a moment, and, and although I, I, I'm, this is not going to happen because the scripture doesn't say it, but it says here <clears throat> in verse 15, and whosoever was not found written in the book of life. Now could you imagine for a moment, picture this in your mind, you stand before God and the books have been opened up and the, the judgment has been rendered guilty, worthy of death. And those whose names were... Imagine now for a moment that the judge sitting on the throne says, but I'm going to look into the book of life and I'm going to look and see if your name is there. How would you feel? Would you not want to, with all of your being, wish and will that your name is written in the book? Oh, for if only by some chance my name could be found in the book of life, all these terrible things are not going to be. I know I certainly would be. I, can, I, I know that that's not going to happen, though. Because the only reason that they're here is because their name isn't written in the book of life. But just for ima- imagine for a moment, because in verse 15 says, and whosoever was not found, it's, that is the reason right there. It's not because those written in the book of life had something special, some special heritage or something else. We're going to talk about why they're in the book of life. But the very fact that they're written in the book of life, all of these other judgments are put aside. Does it mean that those written in the book of life live perfect, saintly lives? Absolutely not. Because every one of us needs to recognize, and we do, that we are not perfect and we are fallen human beings. We live in a fallen world, but we have been redeemed. Oh, I bet you they're going to wish, oh, if only I could be written in the book of life. So the book of life, I want to talk about the book of life because that really is the whole point of this. The whole point of, of what we talk about here. You know, the whole point of, of the unveiling of Christ uh, through the book of Revelation, through the, the whole um, uh, Old Testament, New Testament. It is because God desperately is reaching into this world and calling to every one of us to come and, and be recorded in the book of life, the book that is written in heaven. That is the whole point, is to be, and, and why? And, and so the question is, how do we do this? What happens? How do we go from being part of the second resurrection or the second death to becoming part of the first resurrection? So we already read in Exodus how there is this book of life that God says, and he very clearly can says, I will blot out of my book or I will not. So he is absolutely in control of the book of life. This is not something that you do. This is not something that, you know, okay, the seven steps to becoming part of the book of life, you know, or the, the, the things, the pedigree of the book of lifers. 
Malachi also says here in verse, or chapter 3, Malachi chapter 3, verses 16 to 18. Then they that feared the Lord spake often to one another, often one to another, and the Lord hearkened and heard it, and a book of remembrance was written before him for them that feared the Lord. So for them that feared the Lord and that, th- that thought upon his name. And they shall be mine, said the Lord of hosts, in that day when I make up my jewels, and I will spare them as a man spareth his own son that serveth him. And then ye shall ye return and discern between the righteous and the wicked, between him that serveth God and him that serveth him not. Those that fear God, those that serve God, there's our first clue about the, how do we find ourselves written in the book of life. Luke chapter 10. It says also of the book of life, Notwithstanding in this, rejoice not that the spirits are subject unto you, but rather rejoice because your names are written in, the, in heaven. Again, this, this I, the keeping of those who are alive, those who are righteous. This is what uh, Luke is talking about. This is the goal, is to be written in the book of life. Revelations chapter 3, verse 5 also says, He that overcometh. So there's this idea of the one that overcometh, the same shall be clothed in white raiment, and I will not blot out his name out of the book of life, but I will confess his name before my Father and before his angels. His name will not be taken out of the book of life, and I will confess his name. This is an indication that what is in the book of life, it is not the deeds, it is not the, the righteous acts of the saints that got them to this point of this level of, of holiness, it is their name. The book of life is a book of names, and the names that Jesus will confess to his Father. These are the ones who have served. These are the ones who have feared. These are the ones who have overcome. But it's, it's more than just that, because I don't want us to go into this place of thinking, well, okay, fear, serve, okay, I can do that, sure, I can serve things, I can overcome, you know, I can uh, deny the flesh and, and these sort of things, and I can put all these things away, or we can at least try. That's not what we're talking about. These are indications of the lifestyle. Those who live in this fear of God, this reverent fear of God, knowing who He is and living according to that. Knowing if these things are true, then this is how I ought to live. Romans chapter 4, though. Let's turn to Romans chapter I want all of us to turn to Romans chapter 4 because you need to see this and and let these words sink in. And if you know it by heart, great. But let's look at Romans chapter 4, because this is really the... This is the, the key. This is the pen that writes the name in the book of life. Romans chapter 4, let's begin at the first verse. What shall we say then, that Abraham our father, as pertained to the flesh, hath found... So what is it that we saying that he's found? For if Abraham were justified by works, he hath whereof to glory, but not before God. So if Abraham was justified by works, he's got something to brag about, but not before God. He can't brag. It holds no weight with God. For what saith the scriptures? Abraham believed God, and it was counted unto him for righteousness. So there it says that Abraham believed God. This is an act of the mind, an act of the, of the will to believe God, to be presented with who is God? What is He like? What has He done? What is He asking of me? And to say, I believe that. I believe this, this, I, this, uh, recollection of the truth or, or this narrative of the truth, and I believe that. Now to him that worketh is a, 
is a reward not reckoned of grace, but of debt. If you work for it, you do the works. If this is something that you strive for, you're going to get paid for it, okay? But this is not of grace. So don't kid yourself that this is a gift to you. This is something you've earned, okay? We all know what works do. Go to the book of, uh, the, the book of, in, in the judgment, the books that are open. There's where all your works are. If you want to be judged out of that, you're going to get your due. And it's not a good place. We need grace. But to him that worketh not, so this is taking works out of the equation, but believeth on him that justifieth the ungodly, his faith is counted for righteousness. His faith, his belief in God, his belief in the gospel, his belief in what Jesus has done on the cross and who Jesus is and the righteousness then that God wants to give to us on account of our faith and our, our um, uh, love for God and, and our identity with God. That we loved uh, God so much that even our own lives were not counted worthy. Even as David also described the blessed of, blessed of man unto whom God imputes righteousness without works. So here's, God wants to impute right, this idea of imputing righteousness without works, saying, blessed are they whose iniquities are forgiven and whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man to whom the Lord will not impute sin. Whose iniquities are forgiven. All those things written in the book. All those things that have been exposed, forgiven. Whose sins are covered. Not hidden. Not brushed under the carpet in a sense. Oh no, guests are coming. You'll quickly brush stuff under the, throw it underneath the couch. No, no. Dealt with. The sins have been dealt with. Isaiah chapter 53. The chastisement of our peace was upon him. It pleased the Father to bruise him He for our iniquities. He was crucified. That's how God dealt with sin. Righteousness. So what is righteousness? Because only those who are righteous in God's eyes are in the book of life. So righteousness is a purity of heart, uh, conformity of heart and life to the divine law. So those who um, whose hearts conform to the divine law which is nobody, but righteousness is imputed or it's charged to the account of. It's a tough word. We don't say that very often. Or it's attributed to. Um, it's yielded to you as a due um, or a scribe, which is to be considered as belonging to you. So God says, by your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, by, and we're not talking about just like, okay, yeah, I get that, you know, he was a person, so on. No, but that faith that says, I believe that Jesus Christ died for my sins according to Scripture. And then say then that I will live as one who is free and not under the bondage of sin. And that I believe that I of myself can do nothing. That I of myself am only worthy to be cast into the lake of fire. Because I know what's written in that book. And all the things that I know that are written in the book are enough to condemn me forever. And then there's a whole bunch of things that I don't even remember. But when I can come to that place of repentance and, and recognize that this is not how I, I do not want to identify with the beast or, or take the mark of, of the beast and, and to call him Lord or, or to call uh, materialism Lord or legalism Lord or myself as a Lord. But I want to I change the way I think and I want to recognize that of myself, death only comes 
But through Jesus Christ, the one who took my sin upon him so that I can go to God, not as a guilty, wretched sinner, but as one who has been forgiven. And if I believe that, if I believe the gospel account, and and then God says that God charges that to our account, he counts righteousness then as belonging to me. And that's only by God's grace. has nothing to do with you and your worthiness. Ephesians chapter 2 verse 9 says that, For by grace are you saved through faith, through faith, through trusting in God. Is what Jesus did enough for you? That's what faith is. Do you believe it? And do you believe it in such a way that when you say, God, I believe, and then I commit my life to you, that you live that way? Has it transformed you like we heard on Wednesday from Brother Judah? Has the faith that you have transformed you? Is it that true evangelical faith that changes you so drastically? For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is a gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. You want to get into the book of life? It is only by a faith in the Lord Jesus Christ and what he has done on the cross. First, Second Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21. For he hath made him to be sin for us. God sent his son into this world so that he could go die on the cross, so that he could become sin for us. And by becoming sin for us, he was able to take away the punishment because he suffered the punishment himself. So instead of God saying, I've got to punish the sin in your life, he says, Jesus already took the sin. And I no longer have to punish you by death because Jesus already bore that for you. For he hath made him to be sin for us who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. Because of that transaction, because of the father's heart who loved his son so much, and because they saw that that sacrifice is so worthy, and because he sees that that faith has so truly transformed our hearts, so that we do not rely on ourselves and and the goodness of our own hearts, but that we only and purely rely on the goodness of Christ, and, and that we serve him and call him Lord now, then is the righteousness of Christ considered ours. No magic. This is by the will of God, by the grace of God. John 5, verse 24 says, Verily, verily, I say unto you, He that heareth my word and believeth on him that sent me. So here's that. Heareth the words of God. How do you want to grow your faith? Faith comes by hearing the word of God. You want to have a strong faith? You want to have an evangelical faith, a faith of our forefathers? Get into the word. There's no other way to do it. And believeth on him that sent me. So to have that faith in God and the work of salvation hath everlasting life and shall not come into condemnation, but is passed from death into life. And this is the whole thing that we're talking about here is to go from that place where the only thing that I have to, uh, to judge or, or that is in my consideration are my works. I have passed from death into life. By the work of Jesus Christ on the cross. How do you want to uh, face the end of your days? Do you want to be part of that first resurrection? Where you reign with Christ? Where you look forward to the new heaven and the new earth? Or will you obstinately, foolishly, still hold on to yourself and to the things of your life that, that have become so important to you? We know where that will end, but oh, I beg of you, I I plead with you, please, today while you hear his voice, harden not your heart. It is not this, this great work that you have to do, it is simply trusting in the work of God, simply committing our lives to him, not by your own power, 
but only through the power of the Holy Spirit. The hymn that we sang, 106, this was not clearly not written about the judgment because it says there's two ways that lie before us. There's a choice that you have. Today is a day of choice. When we come to this point of, of the, the text that we read, there's no more choosing. So today, while you hear his voice, two ways are lying before you, O person. Which one will you choose? The one that leads to righteousness through Christ in the book of life, or the one that is judged by the works? This is what we have to consider. Amen.